Welcome to Visibility Radio. I'm Kenneth Poir, and this program is entitled Just Why It Matters. We'll be talking to people who are subject experts as well as people who live with a vision impairment and other forms of disabilities. My guests and I will cover a range of topics including arts, sports, communications and a whole lot more. Anything that will make a difference to live a full life. So join us on Just Why It Matters. Welcome to this episode of Just Why It Matters and I'm Kenneth Poir talking to our Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Claire Allen. Claire, welcome to the show and thanks for making the time for us. Thank you, Kenneth. A pleasure to be here. Claire, now the reason why we're sitting down is because you are going on to the next phase of your career. And after having spent this time here with us at Visibility, you're looking at the new chapter of your life and perhaps um, the next chapter of your career. Can I begin with asking you a little bit about yourself, your training, your background, your expertise, and how you became involved with the disability sector? Yeah, absolutely. I um, started my career in youth work, actually, in my 20s. Um, and I used to manage crisis centres, transition centres for young people. And I always had this sense that if I believed in them, they could do anything they wanted to do in their life. And so when I became a manager and I started to work with youth workers, I'd say to them, the day you don't believe that they can achieve things, you should resign. And um, I moved then into local government and started to work with local area coordinators with disability and was instrumental in things like disability access and shopping centres and silly little basic things like paving can make a massive difference in people's lives. Absolutely yeah. massive yeah. difference. I yeah. mean, I'm a recipient of um, some of the work that you've probably done. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope many people are. So that was really a joy for me. And then I went to the uh, employment sector and I worked with disability employment services. And again, just opening up an employer's eyes to say that a person with a disability can do the job as well as someone else was fantastic. So to see those outcomes was tremendous. Right. And then coming to visibility, working with um, people that are blind, low vision, vision impairment. And what year did you come to visibility? I came in 2012, in 2012 December 2012. Right. Yes, so six and a half years I've been here now. And mm. um, and it's a great honor, honor and privilege to be here. And what was it that caught your attention as far as people with vision impairments are concerned? I saw this organization as an iconic charity and a charity that had made a fundamental difference to people's lives in the community. When I looked at the history of this organization and I thought about those little old ladies in the Braille, they probably weren't little and old, but <laughs> that's my kind of vision of them, <laughs> that were actually kind of pioneers, you know, these these women really did something special. And then to bring the guide dog movement in with um, Arnold Cook um, in 1952, I thought, what a fabulous organisation to go into and to get them to be contemporary with the changes in the sector, like NDIS and all the changes that are going to happen. I felt it was a good time for me to come in because I know that I can help shape its future. And that was an honour and a privilege to do that. Mm. What was the most obvious gaps you saw when you stepped in? 
I think people had been working a certain way for a long period of time. And we were actually an organisation that were offering so many services to people. And we were basically offering a Rolls Royce service, which was fantastic. But I knew that when block funding disappeared, we may not have the resources to be able to do that. So I wanted to create a culture that was going to be around leadership and around listening to our clients and understanding their needs and continuing the services that we offer, but knowing that we wouldn't be sustainable if I didn't change the way we offered some of those services Mm. because we were going to replace block funding with fee-for-service income. And the hard thing is our clients have received those services for so long that they often see those services as free but they weren't free. They were actually funded in a block funding model. So quite often they say, well, that costs a lot. And you think, well, it's actually the same price as it's always been, except now we get paid after you've received the service. Whereas we were received for many years before you received the service for the years we could budget. So that's really tough, not just for us, but other not-for-profits that are, you know, having that transformation to adapt to a different environment. It's a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's a massive shift. Right. Yeah. Now, how do you think that affects the people who are on the receiving end? Someone like me who's legally blind. And and if you think across the spectrum of different age demographics, do you think that's going to change dramatically for the recipients? I believe, and I've been taught this from this organization and from blind vision impaired clients, that peer support and a place that you can connect to is really important. And I'm worried that in the future that our clients won't have a place where they can connect and they won't have that level of peer support, that level of being able to say to somebody, I'm losing my sight. You know, can you tell me your experiences? Can you help me to overcome this feeling of anger and this feeling of loss? You know, can you show me how you've done things and how you've coped? Because People like yourself, Kenneth, they're an inspiration and we need to capture that. So I'm worried in the future that as we move for fee for service, we will basically go and offer a service, but we won't be building community. So we have to kind of uh, be prudent with our finances, but make sure the community gets behind that philanthropic support to help people that are blind vision impaired. So we're really talking about relationships here, aren't we? We're not just talking about a provider and a recipient of a service. We're talking about building community, as you say. Yes. And as we move through that fee for service, and if you think about the fact that some of these services have to be decentralised, the community will be dispersed to some degree, isn't it? Yes, and we have to create that sense of community because for me it's around housing choices, where people can have their own sense of community and support. We need to let government know there needs to be that level of peer support for blind vision impaired clients because they need a a place to belong. A sense of belonging is important to all of us, no matter whether you've got a a disability or not. You need that sense of belonging. But particularly when you're going through a difficult time in your life, you need to know other people that have gone through the same thing. Right, right. Now, it's it sounds to me like as if we're trying to strike balance here. We're trying to give people a sense of independence um, and also bringing them together so that, as you talked about, peer support is not somewhat compromised as we move for this fee-for-service. But also we're trying to work with the NDIS. Uh, it seems like as if there's some degree of... 
conflict in that whole model and how are we trying to navigate through this rather difficult and confusing time mm. and you've used used the word navigate and that's why we uh, and you were instrumental in this my vision my choice for people to be able to have a single place to go to to understand NDIS, to understand where the support level is there for them in their community uh, and from organisations as well. And this um, role of navigating the system is going to become even more important. Um, And government needs to understand they need to help people to navigate, not just people that are blind, vision impaired, but, you know, families with children uh, with a disability as well need to be able to navigate this process and this system because they need to maximise the support given to them. Quite often people don't know what their needs are, you know, and, and that's a big thing. We we sort of go to someone and say, well, what do you think you're going to need in the next 12 months? Quite often they don't go to NDIS and say, well, I need this in my plan or I need that. They don't think about, you know, what they're going to need within 12 months. Mm-hmm. So there's a big education piece for our clients around, well, what do you think your needs are going to be, you know, over this next period of time? And that's really tough to think about what are your needs? What am I going to need in the next 12 months? You know, we've got a whole body of knowledge here and accumulated experiences of people who are providing a service and people who are part of our beneficiaries. Do you think we are in a position to advocate strongly and to represent the voice to some degree to the people who are policymakers out there? I think Visibility is an amazing organisation. I mean, when you think that we just won uh, the Hester Award for Outstanding Organisation and we just won uh, the AIM Award for People and Culture and the fact that we've um, developed some great systems and processes, but we really listen to our clients. Uh, You know, our client satisfaction is fantastic. Our staff satisfaction surveys are fantastic. We actually understand the sector. You know, we think about adaptive technology. We think about the expertise in our organisation. And I have to say, it's second to none. If government was going to listen to an organisation around the blind vision impaired space, it should be us. I don't know any organisation, and I say this, hand on heart, I'm moving to the next chapter, but this organisation is way up there in terms of its understanding. And there's one reason for that, and that is we know why we exist, and we exist to serve our clients. We don't exist to um, serve ourselves, but we exist to serve our clients. And if government came to us, we would be saying to them, create a sense of community. This is a specialist group of people, and they have specialist needs, and they don't fit into your generalist idea of disabilities. And one size doesn't fit all. And so we can show you how to make a difference. And that difference can be made in a very cost-effective way, actually. You know, so work with us and we'll show you how to do that and actually make a significant difference. Claire, I want to turn our focus now to something which you've mentioned. We've talked about adaptive technology. And if we think back to the past, not so long ago, Braille was the go-to thing for anyone who was blind. And then now we're talking about adaptive technology. Mm. Now, with the young people who are growing up with blindness or with low vision, how does that 
change the way we present ourselves in terms of giving them a hand because they're going to be growing up with something completely mm. new. Mm. Doesn't that change the way we model ourselves as well? Absolutely. You know, I think back um, six and a half years ago when I arrived here, and predominantly over 85% of our clients were over 65. And now we're talking about you know, over maybe 58, 60% of our clients are over 65. We've broadened our scope to a much younger generation. And that younger generation is basically using technology like their iPhone and the accessibility features. You know, when I arrived, I was basically doing correspondence in large print, in Braille, responding to a large number of people in different print formats. I'm not doing that as much now. Um, I'm leaving this job and we're communicating in a very different way. Podcasts, you know, on our website, we basically have a radio. We have people like yourself that are contributing um, to those aspects. We're communicating in different ways than we even did six and a half years ago. Hmm. It's um, it's a different landscape as we think forward. Mm, it is a different landscape. And it's actually causing us to be, if you like, those disruptors in the market. Because, you know, when I look at universal design principles for a person's home, for example, we're leading that as well. We're starting to say every single home in Australia that is built should be built under universal design principles. So a person with a disability should be able to walk into that home and use it and access it the same way that I can access it. So from ground zero we're talking exactly, about. Exactly. And we're actually liberating in that space. And how fantastic is that? Claire, it begs the question of co-creation. And I know we're beginning to think around those um, concepts as well. But with co-creation comes co-responsibility. And it changes the way I interact with an organisation like Visibility. Instead of just being a beneficiary, I now need to contribute. Because if we're mm. talking about building a tomorrow that is organically designed mm. for people with a disability, I can't just sit down there and say, gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm. I've got to go out there and say, let's find out what I can do to be able to make that happen. How do you think this is going to sit with all the stakeholders? Mm. Look, I feel like shouting from the rooftops to every for-purpose organisation in Australia, stop working with a traditional approach with your clients and with your staff. Start co-creating to make a difference because that's how you build an organisation that will stand the test of time because you'll get it right from the start. So co-creation means that we're not going to be heading down a track whereby I think I know what your needs are, Kenneth. That's kind of this traditional approach. I think I know what your needs are, so I'm going to give you these services. And then you say, I don't really need those services, but I actually really need this. So if I start with, Kenneth, you tell me where your needs are. Let's do a workshop around some of these things. You're going to be delighted. And our idea is to meet your needs, right? And meet the needs of our clients. So... Those charities out there or even those for-profit organisations entering into the sector need to understand that they have to actually go back a step. And actually, by going back a step, they'll go 100 steps forward. And that's the difference that that can make for people. It'll transform lives, but it'll make us so that we're really working in partnership and co-creating with our clients. And to me, that is just fantastic. You know, To me, it makes my heart sing 
because that's what it's about. It's not about us being paternalistic in our approach. It's about us collaborating. Right, right. Now, what are your thoughts about the future opportunities for people with vision impairment in terms of employment, in terms of education, in terms of just getting out there and being able to participate just like anyone else? I think the opportunities are massive as we start to develop um, new technologies. I mean, already people can go into a job. They can basically do a variety of different jobs um, because they can use their computer and they can navigate around a computer really well with accessibility features. The big thing is employers. Removing the barriers with employers by saying, actually, why don't you trial a person who's blind vision impaired for a couple of weeks and see how good they are? And I'm going to tell you something. They're going to be more committed. They're going to be more dedicated. They're probably going to do a better job because they're just going to love what they're doing because they have a sense of belonging. They have a sense of purpose and they're contributing to society. And that's what everybody wants. But, you know, they're not given those opportunities sometimes. So we need to educate employers. We need to break through those barriers. You know, the other thing when we talk about that is, and I've been speaking to a lot of people out there very honestly, what we want is an equal opportunity, Mm. but not an equal outcome. Because we understand that certain things aren't quite ready Mm. for someone with a disability. So the ability to have equal opportunities is slightly different from equal outcomes. But how do we help people distinguish between the two? Because it's usually seen as the same. Yeah, I think that um, if we're measuring outcomes, what actually is an outcome? Organisations need to determine what is a, a solid outcome for them. You know, and I think that's the same for anybody, to be honest. We all have KPIs or key performance indicators that we have to meet. I think as long as we set some expectations with people, uh, usually they'll achieve those expectations, you know. If I have a conversation with you and say, well, what do you think you can achieve in a week? Um, Can you do a bit more? You'll say, yeah, yeah, I can. And we'll say, great, that's fantastic. Right, right. Claire, what have you personally learned and what have you drawn from your time here at Visibility and working with people with vision impairment? Yeah, look, I want to say that um, I've I've probably taken away more from this organisation than I've given. And I say that humbly because I'm very inspired by blind vision impaired people who raise families, participate in the community, um, hold down amazing jobs. Sometimes people getting up at the crack of dawn just to get into the city, catching two modes of transport to get to their job. Wow, how inspiring is that? You know, when I see people raising a family and they, they say there's two people that are, that are blind, husband and wife, and they have their kids and they raise them together, I mean, gosh, that's so inspiring. When I see um, young people, like even our staff, basically sail from Sydney to Hobart, I'm like, wow. You know, every day is like, wow, this is incredible stuff. When I go into organisations, my job is to create long-term sustainability, award-winning organisations, which work by a system and a framework. But the most important thing is the people. And what I'm taking away is very, very special connections. And and I know that I've added to this organisation for long-term sustainability. But I'm also taking away a sense of joy and happiness that this organisation is now positioned for great opportunities and growth. So it's really nice to, to leave an organisation on a high feeling you've contributed to its 
long-term sustainability. It's amazing culture, but you're taking away this sense of inspiration. If there was one moment or one experience you can recall that has probably been burned and etched into your memory for the rest of your life, what would do you think that would be? Well, I have so many of them. I really do. But for me, it is around the difference that we make in people's lives. But when I was collecting for the Street Appeal with Guide Dogs and I was with Debbie Schaefer, our amazing chair, we're walking down the street with our tin and there is a homeless man um, with his sleeping bag on the side of the street. And he'd obviously been collecting that morning his money for whatever his breakfast. And he actually came to us and he gave us every single penny he had, right, and put it into our tin. That's and, heroic. And that blew me away that a homeless person in the street would give to our organisation because they absolutely love what we do. And I was completely humbled that day. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's really heroic virtue. Mm, mm. Claire, looking back at the last six years, if you could turn the clock back, is there anything that you would do slightly differently or dramatically differently? No. To be honest, uh, I feel like I came into this organisation at a perfect time for this organisation. We were were struggling. Um, We were struggling to... Uh, create a brand, a sense of identity in the community. We were a quiet achiever. And I believe that the profile has been raised dramatically um, within Western Australia and in Tasmania. Um, And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here and for the time that I've had to connect with people and make that difference. And hopefully, you know, I believe that we've won the trust of government and we've won the trust of our clients as well. We do things differently of visibility and I'm immensely proud of that. That's fantastic. So what's next for Dr. Claire Allen? Um, well, I've taken over the CEO role of Minda, which is in Adelaide. It's an iconic uh, disability organisation. So it's the largest disability provider in Adelaide. And again, I'm there to serve. I'm there to serve the clients. I'm there to serve the community and make that difference. I've been doing it since I was 22 years of age. So I've got 30 years in the community service sector and I go where I feel led to go. And this is that next chapter to make that significant difference and you will still be in touch with us i hope i will be in touch um i will always be hopefully a dear friend of of visibility <laughs> and sure dogs WA in Tasmania. <laughs> um, and i always want to keep those links open and i know that we will and hopefully we can collaborate on a number of different projects moving forward dr claire ellen thank you for all the time and for the service that you've given to this community and we wish you every best of success. Thank you, Kenneth. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I've been speaking with Dr. Claire Allen. She is Chief Executive of Visibility right here in WA, but she's moving on to do greater things elsewhere, but she will still be contributing to our community. Thank you for joining us, and that's just why it matters. I'm Kenneth Poir, signing out. This episode of Just Why It Matters was edited by Keith Tan.